Well, thank you so much, Faith. Hey, if you brought a Bible with you, let me invite you to open it with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 7. Luke's Gospel, chapter 7. Faith just sang about the text that we're going to read. Indeed, it's a great, great picture of what is going on in this text of Scripture. Luke, chapter 7, beginning in verse 36. If you're visiting with us, we're going verse by verse through Luke's Gospel, and we find ourselves this morning in verse 36. So let me ask you to stand with me in honor of God's Word, looking at verse 36. You've got it in front of you. Say yes. And the Bible says, Now one of the Pharisees was requesting to him to dine with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of a person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Let's bow together. Father, it's a great honor and privilege to be in your house, to open up your word, and to see such a great picture of genuine worship. And now, God, I pray by your grace that you would speak to our hearts, challenge us to be genuine followers who pour ourselves out in worship of you throughout our days. And God, I thank you for how you're going to use the text this morning. Draw people to yourself who do not know you, but also challenge us who are already disciples to go further still in our walk with you. And we'll give you glory for it. In Jesus Christ's name that we pray, everybody said amen. And you can be seated. You know, I would kind of begin with a simple question this morning. Do you ever wonder if Jesus really desires for you to worship him. You know, there are times in our lives as followers of Jesus that worship is extremely difficult. Uh, Sometimes we're weighed down with some guilt over past mistakes. Uh, Sometimes mentally we have this huge brick wall between us and the Lord. Each brick has etched upon it some failure, some sin, or some attitude, some poor choice, some unwise comment that we made. And so it's almost as if we have built a wall between us and Jesus. And we're standing on one side facing west while Jesus is standing on the other side facing east. And as a result, we totally miss the opportunity to genuinely worship our Savior. You know, in fact, if we get gut level honest with one another this morning and kind of take off our religious mask... We would have to, uh, some of us, agree that we have not even worshipped Jesus since we've been to church this morning. But you know, oftentimes I fear we are failing to worship Christ because we secretly think he doesn't really desire our worship. But there was this one lady, I believe, if anyone could be tempted to think that Jesus would not desire worship, it would have been this lady. You know, the scripture describes her using one word. It says that she was a sinner. We just read about her. And the grammar of the text doesn't signify that she committed just a sin, but rather it magnifies the fact that she kept on sinning. Sinning was like this lady's full-time job. That's what she did. Her life was consumed with missing the mark of God's holy standard. She was constantly making terrible decisions which only seemed to give birth to more and more sin. Both her attitude and her actions kept digging a deeper hole of despair, a deeper hole of hopelessness. She was caught in this cycle of sin. She was unable to release herself. So you can imagine that her modern-day acquaintances, without a doubt her neighbors, didn't want anything to do with her. 
And as we begin to think about her sin, most scholars agree that her sin was that of prostitution. So she was a prostitute. And the religious elite, without a doubt, would ostracize her during those days. Most of the time, they would seek to avoid her. Now, our logical mind would assume that Jesus, the Son of God, who was sinless, who was absolutely perfect, surely he would shun such a woman trying to come in to his presence. Perhaps he would consider her to be unworthy to even be in the same room. But the opposite takes place in our text this morning. Jesus welcomes the woman into his presence. And then check this, and please listen. Jesus not only welcomes the woman into his presence, but he actually delights in her worship. So what does that mean for you and I? Well, this means that Jesus welcomes you and I into his presence, and he actually delights in our unashamed worship. Now, even as I've made this kind of statement based upon Scripture, some people say to themselves, well, there's no way that can apply to me. You don't understand my past. You don't understand what I've been caught up in. You don't understand who I am. So there's no way this would apply to me. You know, we seldom have a cognitive awareness that the spiritual forces of darkness do not desire for worship to be given to the Son of God. A demon's full-time activity is to keep you from worshiping Jesus. Uh, therefore, he will help feed our mind with reasons why we can't come into the presence of the Lord. And as such, we begin literally to build our own picture of who Jesus Christ is. We see him too often with his back toward us, his arms folded. Nothing more than really desiring for us to leave him alone. However, that picture is not based upon the scripture. That is based upon faulty thinking. So what I would like to do this morning is give you the opportunity to mentally erase a false picture of Jesus from your mind. And instead, from this passage of Scripture, I want to encourage you to realize that the sinless Son of God, Jesus Christ, actually welcomes you into His presence and delights in seeing you worship Him. You know, this morning as we look at this text of Scripture, we really ask one major question, and that is, what should our worship look like? If we're going to go into the presence of the Lord Jesus, what should motivate us? What should it genuinely look like? A few statements to give you this morning. First of all, my worship should be unhindered. And we see this from the lady's life. Look in your Bible again at verse 36. Scripture says, Now um, one of the Pharisees uh, was requesting him to dine with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now, the way they ate in the house is a little bit different than how you and I eat. We sit at a chair, at a table, we scoot in, we've got silverware. They didn't roll like this in those days. They actually walked in. The, the table was only about 12 inches off of the ground, and they would recline, which literally gives the imagery of someone laying down. So they would lay down uh, next to the table and prop their head up with one hand, and then with the other hand, they would reach out, and they would get the food. Thankfully, their head was closer to the table than their feet were. Praise the Lord. But this is how they acted, and this is how they ate, and this was the scene of the Pharisee's house. And then turn your attention to verse 37. Scripture says, There was a woman in the city who was a sinner, and when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Now, I want you to notice the overall aspect of the text. Here is this sinner. 
Here is this woman from the city, this prostitute who comes directly into this dining party without any concern with who was there or what was going on. She just began worshiping Jesus. She was not hindered. The scripture says that she was weeping and she stood behind the reclining Jesus weeping. A couple of things to notice about that term weeping. First of all, it speaks of a loud wailing. So this woman was not just coming in there and whimpering under her own voice, but she was wailing over her own life. Secondly, it's given to us in the imperfect tense, which means that it was a continual process in the house. So the woman kept on and kept on weeping and wailing at the feet of the Lord Jesus. One commentator put it like this. She carried on for an uncomfortable length of time. In fact, Martin Luther, who studied this text, wrote about this particular woman concerning her tears. He said, they were heart water. She was pouring out her heart to Jesus while drowning out the thought of anyone else in the room. And as she cried, she also let down her hair, the Bible says. And the woman's hair was a sign of dignity in that culture. A woman would not let her hair down except in front of her husband. But here, she's like, I don't care if I look undignified in front of all these religious people. I have come to worship Jesus Christ, my Lord. And to give you a good idea of what I noticed in this study of text, I would say that the woman did not suffer from the worship disease that you and I often suffer from, which is worship OCD. And you're like, what? OCD, you've not heard of it before? It stands for obsessive compulsive disorder. It mostly describes people who are filled with thoughts that they're going to get some sort of disease. And so as a result, they... Oftentimes, we'll wash their hands over and over and over again, all for fear that they're going to catch the flu or something. And I'm not going to tell you a lie. I've got that just a little bit, all right? So please don't shake my hand after the service. But anyway, so uh, as we look at this OCD concept, we know as well that worship OCD can plague you. And you're like, well, what does that stand for? What does that mean? Well, the enemy loves to put all of this fear in our head concerning worship. And first of all, we would say that O stands for the opinions of others. Some people cannot worship Jesus freely because they are concerned with the opinions of other people. In fact, when this woman entered the house, she couldn't care less what everyone else thought about her. She wasn't looking around the room trying to figure out how she was supposed to act. She wasn't following the crowd or even remotely curious about what their opinion of her was in that moment. She could care less. But not only are we often stagnated by the opinions of others, but if we look at that C, it would stand for the criticism of others. So whenever she came into the home with a Pharisee, uh, you know that those religious folks in the house literally would have been rolling their eyes. They would have been unable to believe she was in the house of this religious figure, much less in the house where Jesus was located. So, you know, she faced great criticism, to say the least, by others in that very moment. But there doesn't seem to be any care about the critics naysaying. But oftentimes, and let's just be honest, we fail to worship because we're afraid that someone is going to criticize us. So there's the opinions of others, there's criticism, but the D stands for the disapproval of others. You know, when she entered the home, she wasn't concerned with others disapproving of her. She was completely unhindered in her worship. Now, I can't tell you how many times I've missed the opportunity personally to worship Jesus because I was plagued with worship OCD. I've been in places where I wanted to make sure that I fit in, and I was so obsessed with that 
and the opinions of other people that I failed to worship. I have been in places where others critique me, and I felt that they were critiquing my life, which kept me from genuine worship. I've even allowed the fear of disapproving onlookers to keep me from genuinely worshiping the Lord Jesus. And this is just another way for the enemy to work in my life as well as yours. He wants you to wonder what everybody else is going to think about you if you truly begin to worship the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This happened to David in the Old Testament. You may remember he was not plagued with worship OCD, but his wife was. The Bible teaches us that the presence of the Lord in the Ark of the Covenant was returning to Israel. And David, the king, saw this and he stripped down in a linen ephod and he began to praise the Lord with every bit of his being. But Michael, his wife, began to look at him and say, what are you doing? You are embarrassing yourself and me. She even goes so far as to say, my David, how you have distinguished yourself as a king in all of Israel through this activity. She was being very sarcastic. Well, you know what's wild is that when the presence of the Lord was coming back to Israel, David did not miss the opportunity to worship, but Michael did. And that's the issue with some who are in the fellowship today. You're like, well, I'm afraid if I really worship the Lord, my wife might get embarrassed or my husband might criticize me or my co-workers might see me. And man, they saw me this past week and th there's no way I can do this. And so all of these thoughts begin to fill our head. And you know what? That kind of attitude is an attack from the enemy causing you and I to totally miss out on worship of the Lord Jesus. Because the opinions of others, the possibility of criticism from others, and the fear of disapproval from someone, you are completely missing the Lord in worship. And it's not that He isn't here welcoming you. It's not that He doesn't desire for you to come into His presence. It's that you've allowed others, listen, others to determine whether or not you're going to truly worship Him. If you think about it, it is a weird form of idolatry. If you are more concerned with what others think than worshiping Jesus, then you are actually worshiping others instead of Jesus. A genuine worship is unhindered. Genuine worship is like, I don't care what you say about me. I don't care what you think about me. I don't even care what you think you might say about me. I am not here for your approval. I'm not here to impress you. I'm not here to even worship you. My star is the Lord Jesus Christ. And I have come to get my praise on regardless of what you say and what you think. Genuine worship. Unhindered man. But we go a step further. My worship should be fueled by what I can offer. Uh, the woman didn't come looking for Jesus to give her anything, she was not consumer driven. Uh, she wasn't saying, what can I get out of worship? She didn't have well, what's in it for me attitude. The woman came into the house with a vial of perfume, and Mark's gospel tells us that this jar of perfume would have been priced at around 300 denarii, which is the equivalent of a year's salary. And this isn't something that the woman would have had in her hand just randomly when she heard about Jesus. No, no, no. This is something you kept hidden in your house so that no one would steal it from you. So this woman had heard that Jesus was at the Pharisee's house and immediately thought, what can I bring him as a sacrifice of worship? So she had to go back to her home, find this vial of perfume, and then she would come into the house so that she could bring something to Jesus. What can I give to Jesus? You know, it's a stark contrast by the way 
of how most people come approaching worship, even on a Sunday morning. You know, they come in not asking, what can I bring to Jesus? They come in asking, what can I get out of this? They come anticipating to receive, but not anticipating to give to the Lord. You know, it's interesting, uh, talking with someone about this message this past week, they gave me a great analogy. Uh, They spoke about how oftentimes we come to church with a large spoon in our hand. It's like a ladle. You've got the imagery, say yes. And so you come into worship and you're like, let's see if James can sing a song that I like, that I can dip and sip from. Let's, Let's see if the preacher's got something for me that I can dip and sip from and enjoy. Let's see if my Sunday school teacher can dip. Let's see if there's something happening there that will encourage me. Everything is about you. you know, oftentimes we make the assumption that worship is for us. Massively wrong assumption unless you worship yourself. Are y'all out there say yes? Uh, worship is not about what we can get. Worship is about what we can give to the Lord. And this woman didn't hold back either, man. She gave her very best to Jesus. And then she chose to serve him by washing his feet. It was the most menial task to be done by a servant in the Greco-Roman culture. But there she is on the floor washing his feet. She didn't assume she deserved a position of honor. She didn't assume that she would get anything from Jesus. But remember, listen, genuine worship is fueled by what we can offer to Christ. She poured out her best for Jesus. She poured out her heart of praise to the Lord. She emptied herself in the presence of the Son of God. And then here comes the great paradox of worship. When we come to worship with a big spoon, trying to get satisfied, we never leave satisfied. But when we empty ourselves in worship, when we pour out our best praise upon the Lord Jesus, we never leave empty. Genuine worship is unhindered, is fueled by what we can offer to Jesus. But then thirdly, I would note, my worship should be motivated by the forgiveness of God. And this is huge. On the backdrop of this picture of worship is a group of religious people who didn't like this unhindered and undignified worship of this particular lady. You can see it there in your scripture, verse 39. When the Pharisees who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. And he was like, if he was really from God, He would know this woman, and he would ask her to be escorted out of his presence. The Pharisee's name was Simon. You know, Simon shared the same name with Simon, the Lord's disciple. But this is not Simon Peter in this scripture. This is Simon the Pharisee. And as this man was thinking to himself, Jesus responds to him in verse 40 with a parable. Look at your Bible. It says, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Now, what is cool about this portion of the text is that the Pharisee Simon thought that Jesus should know what kind of woman this was. But here we are fixing to see that Jesus did know exactly what this Pharisee was thinking. The ability to know the unspoken thoughts of the Pharisee proved that he was a prophet. And listen, if Jesus knew the unspoken thoughts of this Pharisee, then he also knew exactly what kind of woman this was who was washing his feet, and yet he delighted and welcomed her. Keep reading, the Bible says, and the Pharisee replied, say it, teacher, verse 41, a money lender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii, the other 50. And when they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them. 
So which one of them will love him more? Verse 43, Simon answered and said, I suppose the one who forgave him more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. And then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. And for this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. He who is forgiven little loves little. And then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. Those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now look at the preacher eyeball to eyeball for just a moment. And let me add something quite unique about this text. You will note that the Pharisee invited Jesus to his house, but he did not worship Jesus. Listen, that means we can get together on a Sunday, you can get in your home, and you can invite Jesus, but still not worship Him. He can be present in our midst, and He is, but still not be worshipped. And the reason that the Pharisee did not worship the Lord Jesus is because he did not see his need for Him. He didn't see a need for forgiveness. But the lady who had lived as a prostitute, horrible life, she needed forgiveness. She desired to worship the Lord. And in coming to Him, she poured every single thing out that she had. She was motivated by her forgiveness. Now, I want you to think about it with me like this this morning. I brought a few uh, bottles of cologne and perfume with me uh, today. Let me get a manly one out here. Here's one. If you see up here in my hand this morning, I've got... One bottle of perfume called Refuge by Charlotte Rousset, which is very legit, by the way. And then in this hand, it doesn't have a name on it, but I'm sure it was like Jakar Noyar. And I want you to picture yourself this morning when you came into the house of God to worship. You were a bottle of perfume or you were a bottle of cologne. Ladies, you're the perfume. Men, you are the cologne. And so often we come into God's house and here's typically what we end up doing. We'll take our little lid off and we'll, yeah, Lord, I love you. Little squirt here. Yeah, Lord, you got it going on. Appreciate you. Little squirt there. That's not worship. And God doesn't want you squirts. Are y'all listening? So what does genuine worship look like? Well, genuine worship comes into the house, and it is amazing what ends up happening. We come together, and it's like we don't care anymore uh, what people are going to say about us. We don't care anymore about what people are going to think about us. We have been forgiven of our sin, which means literally, listen closely, that God graciously redeemed us and saved us from hell for all of eternity through His Son dying on a cross for us, getting up from the grave. He's called us to Himself, and now we're following hard after Him. And so when we come together to worship, we lay down every single fiber of our being to Him. Somebody's like, well, Levi, you don't understand. You don't know what my week has been like. I think you may have forgotten, ma'am, you aren't going to hell when you die. 
That should motivate you. If that's all the Lord does for you and I, that is sufficient to praise Him. So you come together in God's house, and you don't give a little squirt here and there, but you lay it down, man. Are y'all with me? And you break every single fiber of your being before the Lord. And when it's broken, what is awesome about this is when it's broken, the aroma begins to fill the room. Are y'all out there? The aroma fills the room. And you know what's wild about the Lord? Is that He actually has a sense of smell. So what are you talking about? Old Testament, they made sacrifices. And the Bible says that the aroma went up to God the Father. Even in the book of Jonah, you'll find that the scripture says that the wickedness of Nineveh came up before the Father. You know what God was saying? I could smell Nineveh and they stunk. But whenever we get together and you pour out yourself and you pour out yourself and you pour out yourself and you pour out every bit of our praise to the Lord, then the whole room fills up and God smells it and delights in it. And you know what's crazy too? I told the first service this, but whenever we leave the room, it still smells. <laughs> Are y'all out there? This is what worship looks like. Broken and spilled out, giving ourselves to the Lord. So I got a real deal question for you. I know it's Mother's Day, but look at me. Have you done this? Broken and poured out before the Lord, giving yourself to Him in worship? Or have you allowed all of these other things to clutter your mind and keep you from genuinely praising the Lord? That is our challenge. And as we do this, and I love it, as we lift up the Lord Jesus, the Bible says that when we lift him up, he will draw people to himself. So do you know what this means? This means that as you and I praise the Lord, we are actually simultaneously being evangelist. God is using our worship to draw those who don't know the Lord to himself. Why would we not praise him with everything we have? Do that. Hey, some of you... Hey, listen, I'll be honest with you. Just look at me eyeball to eyeball. Can I be for real for just a second? I'm asking permission. Can I be for real for a second? Some of you, I know what's been going on for the past few months in your life. And you're drugged down heavy. And you're like, Jesus wants nothing to do with me. That is a lie from the devil. The Lord desires for you to come back to Him. Some of you have been prodigal. It's time for you to come back to Him, pouring yourself out to Him. God desires that for you this morning. Amen? Yes, Let's bow. Father, speak to hearts even now. We'll give you glory.